0: The Last Olympian, Chapter 5, I Drive My Dog Into a Tree. Mrs. O'Leary saw me before I saw her, which was a pretty good trick considering she's the size of a garbage truck.
1: I walk into the Olympics. I'm Ava. I'm Neve.
2: And I'm Brayden.
1: And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood. Join
0: us as we journey back through a childhood favorite series.
2: And see what lessons we can learn as adults from these books that meant so much to us as kids. (laughs)
3: Thank
0: you so much.
2: Ain't right, even
1: Ava. How are we doing this week? Ooh, well, we both got our second vaccines yesterday.
0: <laughs> it was going so well until about two a.m. last night. I got home, I got into bed, and my whole body was like, "You actually feel like shit now." And I was like, oh no, I felt so bad, and yeah, even yeah. worse when I woke up. But I'm feeling better now, so it's okay. Oh, no.
2: That's good.
1: I felt just very dazed. I don't know. I was watching. Um, Avatar with one of my mates last night, and I kept like being like, like my eyes kept closing. My entire body just wanted to shut down so badly. <laughs> and I felt bad. But once I got into bed, I crashed. And luckily, I had had a lot of water yesterday, so I'm doing okay today. But it's definitely a whirlwind. That's for sure. I drank so much Gatorade.
0: <laughs> me
2: too. <laughs> like y'all have made it out pretty okay. and so i'm I'm hopeful for me getting my next uh, on Friday. Which one did you get again? I have Moderna. You guys both got Pfizer though, right? We did. Yes. So we will see. We shall see.
0: (laughs) My mom got Moderna and she had like barely any side effects. She just went to sleep for like three hours and she was fine.
2: I mean, I love to sleep, so.
0: (laughs) So it'll work out just fine.
2: All right, folks. Welcome back to Return to Camp Half-Blood. This week, we are joined by two very special guests. Uh, from Camp Half Pod, uh, Aaron Monahan and Monsa Arkea. I don't, I think I, I think I fucked, fucked it up, but I think I was so close. <laughs> Introduce yourselves better than I introduced you.
3: I'm Manasa Acharya.
2: Oh, I was so far off.
3: <laughs> it's okay. I really appreciate the trying. That's said <laughs> 10 points for that, you know? <laughs>
4: And I'm Erin Monahan. You are
2: pretty close, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we have one first important question, which is what is your Greek godly parent? And also tell us about your podcast and what you do and yourselves as people.
3: Uh, so our podcast, Camp Half Pod, is basically we go through three chapters at a time of the book and kind of summarize it. And then we just have discussions while we do it. We all have, both have very strong opinions on the most mundane things. So it's quite fun that way. And at the end, we do some lightning bolt questions where we just ask each other based off of the chapters we've read, like very specific questions. But like Erin asks very fun questions. I ask very deep philosophical questions that are not lightning at all. (laughs) Uh,
4: (laughs) We're like in there with like, what's your fatal flaw? yeah. (laughs)
3: think about you as a person and then tell me your like worst flaws and it's great it's like on the fly um let's see my godly my godly parent we actually had some discussion about this because I want to be Percy Jackson I would love to be a main character but I don't think I am so um I I said Persephone, which I feel like is pretty controversial because she doesn't even have a house. She's not, you know, she's not out there, you know, banging mortals or anything like that. So that's mine.
2: <laughs> I really like that. That's I love really that. cool. It's the most creative yeah. answer we've had so far. Uh, yeah,
3: it is.
4: I love that for you, Manasa. Mine is not creative. um My godly parent is Athena. So nice. Yeah, also it's love fun. that. Yeah, thank you.
2: <laughs> I wish I kept track of like the the answers we've had from guests because we haven't had many Athena, I don't think.
1: No. Maybe it right is there. special.
2: <laughs> we really attract a lot of other Aphrodite. Like we've had we've had a, a bunch of
1: those. Of
2: Aphrodite. It's Aphrodite, Poseidon. Um we had like one Hephaestus. That was exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. I thrilling. think that
2: was Robert. Robert was it was Hephaestus. Robert. Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah.
1: No there one is. has been Apollo with me. It's really sad. I'm really just trying to find my siblings. <laughs> oh my
4: gosh. I feel like Apollo is pretty common. A lot of people I know, pick
1: especially because I feel like a lot of our guests are like relatively artsy. Uh-huh. So you
4: think that like
1: we all come from no there. one has
0: <laughs> no one has picked Zeus, but I'm okay with that. Because I can keep my individuality She loves to be
2: special. Wrong. She's quirky. <laughs> She's different. Oh my God. All right. This week we will be discussing chapters five and six of The Last Olympian. I drive my dog into a tree and my cookies get scorched through the theme of home. So, (laughs) you know, thoughts, no thoughts, head empty. Anyways, I'll fix that as well. (laughs) The magic of editing to make myself look better and then give up halfway through editing the episode. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but which one of you wants to fall on the sword and give a summary of these chapters, or you could do it together. I don't, we've never had people try to do it together, but that, that might help. Um,
4: I don't know. I feel like it would be more chaotic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have a summary written out if you want to, or do you have one Manasa? I don't have anything written out. You are the daughter of Athena. Of course you do. Perfect. (laughs) I I can go for it. I can speed read my little summary.
2: All right. I will give you a quick little countdown. Oh. Three, two, one, go. Go.
4: All right. so Nico finally convinces Percy to agree to his plan to make Percy invincible. Percy, Nico, and Mrs. O'Leary retrace Luke's steps to visit Mae Castellan, Luke's mom, who is Bananas. She confirms that Luke had been to see her and ask for a blessing to go to a river the summer before he activated his full Kronos mode. After leaving, they meet Hestia, goddess of the hearth, who recounts Mae's tragic backstory. Then they go and visit my lord and savior Sally Jackson and also Paul to go ask for her blessing on the plan, which she reluctantly all oh, right
2: time is up that was pretty like beautiful
0: work. really, really
4: beautiful. wonderful really,
2: thank, really, you. really thank, you.
0: thank you round
2: of applause one of the, you're in the top tier of people that
0: was Most fantastic people. thank, yeah. you. They, thank you we are, we are really, not in the top tier and we we're so not
2: bad. we are the lowest the lowest of the low um, <laughs> yeah, we're
0: our
2: terrible our guests <laughs> keep showing us up now that we have started um having the guests do them uh anyways the music for this week I chose music for this week, um, and they're they're kind of interesting. The, these were weird chapters to uh, to pick songs for because there weren't any really like scenes that like you could put a song like on top of. Just lots of dialogue based things happening, so mine are more like feeling ish. Um, The first chapter was a lot harder because I did not know (laughs) what to do there. But I picked Bad Friend's acoustic version by Rina Sawayama. Um, I I think it works. It's something about the talking about like Grover and like Percy's relationship with Nico. And uh, I don't know, it works in my head. I can't explain it. I spent a while and this is what fit. and then for the the second chapter, it's uh, Sarah Come Home by Aliex. Uh, I think it's it just relates to the the May wanting Luke to come home. It's like uh, I already forgot the lyrics off the top of my head, but I'll like I'll leave the light on. Sarah, won't you come home? Um, and it's sad. These chapters were so sad.
1: They were so sad, and for what? Like and I- for what? Punched me in the face. Really <laughs>
0: weird.
2: So what did we forget about these chapters?
3: I Can I just ask, why is Mrs. O'Leary married? Who is she married to? That's a <laughs> great question.
2: I was also thinking that. Like, I was like, oh, this is MRS, Mrs.
3: Mrs. There is a Mr. or another Mrs. out there. <laughs>
2: I I like to think of it as as there's two Mrs. O'Leary's out there.
3: Yeah.
4: We love a queer icon, Mrs. O'Leary. We do. We're gonna (laughs) make branding her
1: now.
3: (laughs) I definitely forgot she was Mrs. (laughs) O'Leary. I was like, who is I was like stop reading through it and I was like, who the hell is Mrs. O'Leary? I was like, the dog, the dog's married, but it's fine. Um, I also forgot how depressing that chapter was just with like Luke and like, I guess you're supposed to try to feel some sympathy for like, you know, like, yeah, we all, people have bad childhoods. Doesn't mean, they have to go like rise, raise Kronos from, you know, the underworld, but it's fine. But I get it too. Like, he's just like, I can't imagine having a house like that. That just is so sad. Yeah. I also feel bad for her because like, she's just waiting for her son to come home.
2: Yeah, I forgot all the like little details that make it worse. Like the Beanie Babies, like lined up outside.
0: I
1: hated that. Like there's something about that that just like made me viscerally react. Like, oh God, like, please don't like anything but this. Like it really, really got me.
2: Something about stuffed animal. It falls into like the haunted kids and haunted like dolls, like Mm -hmm. creepy stuffed animals. I don't fuck with that.
4: Neither. I do want to know where she got because they're like stuffed Medusas and stuff. Where did she get this? Yeah. I want one.
2: <laughs> what retailer is selling stuffed animals <laughs> of monsters? Which monster has their own company in which they sell
1: you know baby babies of I other monsters? Bet, I bet Medusa expanded. And I bet that's her. Like I oh. really bet she expanded from like statues and garden material to like also stuffed animals. She's a businesswoman.
2: <laughs> it's coming from Auntie Anne's garden emporium, but like it comes from it's a corporate franchise. Yeah. It's not a small business anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that must be it.
2: What is that? Horizontal integration? Yes. Where you spread out into other um
1: Oh I think so.
2: Mediums. Vertical integration is owning the whole um chain yeah. of, of production. She doesn't distribute. I I I assume her distribution is still done by Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> probably
3: oh my god i also forgot that nico has like a weird reaction to jupiter like touching his hand like yes. what, what is that yes. about i oh, yeah.
2: i loved reading it though because knowing what we know from house of hades mm-hmm. so it's like reading it that first time i was like oh like look it's like nico's a little kid and a pretty girl is touching him and so he's like oh blush no It's because he likes Percy and is like, like, oh my God, like, this is so embarrassing. Like in front of Percy, I can't believe, uh, I really liked it. Uh, I know that Rick was not writing that intentionally. (laughs) It's the, it's, it's like almost a Dumbledore level retcon if, if he didn't write more books, (laughs) Like, it's, it's just reading this series, it's, like, going back and being like, oh, yeah, but Nico was gay the whole time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much.
2: Pretty much.
4: I also forgot that Nico just, like, talks to dead camper ghosts. Like, he mentions that he talked to Beckendorf, and Beckendorf was all like, oh, tell Percy I don't blame him, but I just was thinking, does Nico just talk to dead camper ghosts all the time? which is really sad. And does he just keep that to himself? Does he
0: share with their families? I don't know. And like right after that, they were like, he, it's crazy that this 12 year old kid and I was like, 12. (laughs) He's only
2: 12. It's, I think it's important to know he is the same age as Percy in the first book. Rick did that so well, like making him 10 in Titans first so that he would be 12 when mm-hmm. Percy was 16 very smart
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: but yeah also when they're like oh he's waiting for someone he's gonna get he wants to get reborn but he's waiting for someone first waiting, we, for, someone. <laughs> waiting for someone but she kind of killed him so I don't know how to I have very complicated feelings about their relationship
3: mm-hmm. me too Erin and I have discussed that we always thought that Clarice and her... Thank you. ...should have been oh, yes. together. Thank yeah. you. No, abs- <laughs> I agree. They're so queer-coded, it's ridiculous.
2: No, hand, hands down, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they have the um, Aries and Aphrodite relationship that is mirrors Aries and Aphrodite's like, affair because Aphrodite is married to Hephaestus, Yep. it's so obvious yeah.
1: we talked about this last week I and like either, i'm never honest. gonna be done talking about it like i have
4: so many that's so good
2: i don't even i was know.
4: only thinking of the like achilles patrocles we talked that last week later too. but yeah. there's also the god oh that's good
2: there's so much and i think it was all accidental <laughs>
4: I do too. <laughs>
2: I give I give I Rick Riordan very little credit on this podcast. <laughs> we should give him more, but does he deserve it? Up to, up to interpretation.
1: I just like, you know, naturally I feel like I have qualms g- crediting a presumably straight man with like the very detailed writing of queer undertones. <laughs> like I have trouble crediting him for that. But also if he wants to be like, "No, I did it." I'll be like, "Okay."
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. If he told me he did it on purpose, I'd believe him. Yeah. But, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I also forgot about Hestia's little um, cameo this early. I Like, I knew she was the last Olympian, obviously. I forgot she shows up so soon. And it's just like, you know, think about what you do before you do it. I'm not going to stop you. Just remember... anything
1: else we forgot <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about um lenius like i totally forgot he was a character completely and totally like when he showed up i was like oh okay old goat talking to like <laughs> everyone i was like i i completely and totally forgot that he was even like in the universe which is odd because like typically i i remember i don't remember a lot but typically i remember like a character name or like, oh, this happened at some point. That jogged my memory. Like, I remember that Hestia showed up. Not going to lie, I didn't remember very much else. Um, But I, Linus did not jog anything
4: in my mind. So I really, really forgot.
2: I would yeah, also like... I think
4: I purposely forgot him. Like, you know, I just threw him out of my memory. It doesn't, yeah. he didn't need to take up space in there. Yeah.
0: <sighs> that makes a lot of sense.
2: I would also like to bring to everyone's attention that if you listen to the audio book, Um, Jesse Bernstein is doing a very terrible Danny DeVito impression for Linnaeus. He's like, this is Phil. And, like, he's right. It is Phil. Like, the character is the same. But, like, it is the worst Danny DeVito impression I've ever heard.
0: (laughs) I forgot, like, a very specific thing of, I remembered that they went to go see Luke's mom. But I could not remember, for the life of me, why? Why? So I was, like, reading it, like, figuring out why are we here, like, as it was happening, and I was, like, I remember so well, like, the little details of this, of, like, like, the, oh, for some reason, the image of moldy peanut butter sandwiches stayed in my mind for years, like, oh, terrifying, but, like, I... I remembered so many little details about going to May Castellian's house, but I was like, "Why are we here?" <laughs> for like most of it. And then I was like, "Oh, to find out that Luke." Yeah. And now I it, I remembered, but it did take me most of that scene to be like, "Why did we come here? <laughs> I can't remember why we visit this woman."
2: All right. I think we will take a quick break and then we'll be right back to discuss the theme of home. You know, the pandemic has had a tremendous impact on sleep, insomnia, and anxiety. If you're suffering from sleep issues like half of the world is, our sponsor Real Sleep has developed the world's first personalized sleep solution customized to you. Unlike prescription and over-the-counter sleep aids, their plant-based formula works with your body to get you to sleep faster, help you sleep deeper, and cut down on sleep disturbances. I know that I have terrible insomnia and trouble sleeping. I've definitely talked about this on the podcast. I go to bed regularly at 4 a.m., but real sleep helps. While sleep is solitary, you are not alone, and real sleep is here to help. That's why we're teaming up with real sleep to give you 20% off your next purchase. So go to the link in our show notes and use the cod, pod, P-O-D to see why real sleep is the last sleep product you'll ever need. We are back and we will now discuss the theme of home. So where did we see home in these chapters? Community. I think we
4: first see it at I mean at, he's at Camp Half-Blood in the very beginning but notably Grover is gone and he's always associated I mean even in like Sea of Monsters Grover is gone and he notes that it just feels weird without Grover there um, which is really sweet that he thinks of Grover as his home even though in our podcast we are we insult Grover all the time we but trash we love him trash Grover we, Grover we in are loving, loving way. <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
2: The antithesis.
1: About- <laughs> I love this. Oh my god.
3: <laughs> Flash of the Titans. This oh. is cool. cool. <laughs> I mean, we loved him when we were like when we first read the book, but now rereading it when we I think we also hype each other up where we're like, he's he's a protector. Protect something. And it's just it's quite bad. He's that trying is, his best. Trying his, his best. Never best. works out, but he is trying. <laughs>
2: His best isn't great, but he's doing it.
0: He sets the bar for
4: himself. It's not very high, but it's he, it's okay. But he
2: consistently meets the low bar that he sets.
0: <laughs> he does. And
4: he does I have a lot of
2: respect minimum. for that.
0: He does the bare minimum at a lot of coaxing and a lot of <laughs> preparation. He does the least that he needs to do.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the next time we see home is definitely just what Luke's home was and why he left. Because it wasn't really a home. He felt abandoned and he felt, like, unsafe. So, like Percy, he makes Camp Half-Pod his home. (laughs) Camp Half-Blood. So, I say that podcast name so much. I love Camp Half-Blood his home. And... Percy also then doesn't really understand how he could betray it in that way because it's his home. That's his only place he's ever felt safe. And even then he just like chucked it over his shoulder as he left.
2: Yeah, I think it, it raises questions about just where where there are problems in creating your home in spaces that aren't made to be a home. Like camp Half. Uh, Well, I can't say either, apparently. Uh, Sorry, Camp (laughs) camp Half Blood is not structurally set up to actually be a home for people. It is because people aren't safe other places, and so they find home in it. But the systems that are, are created, like with the gods and stuff, make it an awful home to actually grow up in because that's just the oh, my computer's going to die. That's just the, the structures that have been set up.
4: Yeah, it's more so like the home is the people that they're with. And right now, I mean, there's like weird vibes between Percy and Annabeth right now. There's Grover's missing. Everything's getting, everything's on fire. Everything is, everyone's going to war. Like it just is, there's, he doesn't have that element of like the people being there for him in the same way that they always were.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why we see like May Castellan's house is not Luke's home because he never felt like he belonged there. But I think what's really interesting is the imagery that Rick creates, which is May trying to make a like stereotypical home that is like warm and inviting what like (laughs) the, the Western ideal of a home should be with like. She's making, she's baking things and making lunch and uh, there's uh, stuffed animals and, but it's like chaotic, like everything, she makes too many things. She burns the cookies. Everything sits out because she's trying to provide a home for no one. And it's just, it's really sad. And it's interesting to compare it to Hestia and to Sally. Mm-hmm.
4: Ooh, something I was thinking of. I was like, maybe I took too many English classes when I was in college. I don't know, but the scene in Sally's apartment where Mrs. O'Leary is like literally stuffed into it and smashing everything. I was like, this kind of feels metaphorical for the fact that Percy's like life as a demigod has smashed. Like it's just ruined his his home, and it's come and like infiltrated everything in his life and it's not he can't just go home to Sally anymore and hang out like it's always just there to like ask to go bathe in a river and do really dangerous things and it's kind of beautifully metaphorical I don't know if Rick was trying to go for that it just Mm -hmm. feels like it was more so a fun scene of a large dog stomping in an apartment but I like to think of it that way.
2: I actually, like, saw the same thing, especially in comparison to to the Castellan's house, where this house was made a mess by um, May's problems. And that's what made it not be able to be a home for Luke. Percy has brought the mess into his own home. And so no matter how much Sally wants to provide a home for him, and she is home in that way, like, she is home for him, but their, their physical home can't really be a home for him because of the life and the baggage that he brings with him. And it's sort of like an opposite but same trajectory that Percy and Luke are on. Yeah. Ooh.
0: This Nicely is done snaps. <laughs> yeah. This is very off topic, but I just felt it made me very... Happy is not the right word, but when they get to make Castellian's home and um, Percy's just like looking at it, he's like, why would Luke ever want to leave? And I was like, this man needs to stop assuming people's home lives because he got
3: to to Annabeth's
0: house and he's like, why would she ever want to leave? This is wonderful here. It's like, you don't know what happened. And it was just very nice when you watch like the whole thing fall apart in that scene. I was like, finally, Percy learns that like sometimes it just doesn't, it doesn't, what it looks like is not what it is especially when it comes to like people's home lives that he has never ever heard of like ever ever witnessed or anything and I don't know it just brought up a lot of like angry feelings for when he was like Annabeth your home life isn't that bad and she was like yes it was (laughs) like you have literally no idea what it was like um and yeah so it was very nice to have him be initially think that it was gonna be really a really good environment in there and
3: then walk in and be like oh god this is a shit show maybe I don't know everything I love the idea that Percy's, like, these rich white kids and they're, like, you know, middle-class suburban houses and then he walks in and he's like, okay, that was bad. I shouldn't miss <laughs> yeah. That.
0: yeah.
2: It's very just, Percy wants to see that, like, people are just bad. He wants mm-hmm. to believe that Luke is just a bad person and he has to hate Luke because Luke decided to be a bad person. And then he sees, it's like, okay, now I I do understand why Luke had to leave. And I understand that like Hermes really fucked him over. And so like Poseidon also fucked Percy over, but not in the same way because he always had Sally. And Luke didn't have one functioning parent (laughs) at all, much less two. And so it's just sad to watch, because also I think we can not a su- i think we can infer from the the chapters that because of the the oracle stuff and like May like grabbing Percy and stuff we can infer that that happened to Luke too and it's like he came from an abusive home essentially is what Rick is saying without being super super overt about it um and it's just very tragic. It's all—it's very like the cycle of abuse, and it's really sad to see. But I think Rick handles writing it in not a terrible way. He—he he doesn't handle everything well, but I think I think he includes enough in that that like adult readers can read into it, but that like young readers are like, oh yeah, she was crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. It's really interesting because I think that that parallel or like that almost like binary that you're bringing up of like um, young readers don't have to see this thing. They don't have to be burdened by this thing when they're not exactly ready. Um, And then older readers sort of more experienced, you know, more um, likely to pick up on things that are harder to process. Um, I think really parallels kind of Percy's journey that you were we were all kind of talking about before about home so like when he was younger and he didn't have to face a lot of the really difficult truths um you know he had that like he could feel genuinely comfortable in himself and sort of in his family and like in a place in one place um and now like he is just too aware and he it's like that really really rough sort of like shock of being an adult where it's like you will never necessarily have the same type of innocence um and so it's like, there's a lot, <laughs> didn't mean to be depressing. Um,
2: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, these chapters are depressing. But... <laughs> they are.
1: They are. So I, I, that parallel, I thought was interesting. And I also, I think it's really, these chapters made me feel very bad for Percy um, as well as Luke, obviously, but um, Percy, like it is just very clear to me that he does not, he is subconsciously trying to put off any more emotional baggage um, because he just cannot handle anything else. Like, I think the reason why he kind of tries to see people as like good or bad is, is like a coping mechanism. And it's, it's very much like, okay, if I see this person who has hurt me and people close to me so badly as human, as someone who is sort of shades of gray, instead of just black or white, you know, um, it'll be far easier for me to process that he has hurt people close to me um and so when he finally kind of gets that shock of like oh he really has had bad things happen to him he really isn't all bad like it hurts a lot more I think for him to process that Luke is you know has genuinely done a lot of malicious things um so it's just wow like I feel really really awful for Percy these chapters like he just keeps getting reality checked over and over without a break (laughs) and it's so sad to see
2: I mean, this is the overarching theme that we keep coming back to, which is black, white, and gray. Percy starts off the series seeing, assuming the best in people. He really... he fall. The first book is it, him falling into all of these traps because he just trusts everyone he meets and then they end up being a monster. And then we see him start to assume the worst of people. And it, it's a really sad turn, but we see when when he comes out of, of the Castellan home and he meets Hestia and he's like, I know that that eight-year-old girl is going to try to kill me. And that was really sad to me because obviously she's not, and obviously she doesn't. But the fact that he can't see a child and, and not be scared or ready to fight is really sad. And he's only 16, but... It's nice to know that the old, like this the series ends with him learning to like this whole book is him learning to balance that that uh, pessimistic view with his optimistic view of the world because like the Battle of the Labyrinth is him very assuming the worst of people and this book can starts off continuing that and then we see him break down and be like, oh, I need to keep my defense and guard up, but I also need to be able to let people in at the same time because yes, people will screw me over, but there's probably a reason why. And so we have to figure out why and solve that. And so that fighting my battles isn't gonna solve everything. Just the whole thing with the whole Titan war. He's like, they're not wrong. Like they're not wrong. They need to stop, (laughs) but they're not wrong.
3: It's so funny because I'm we're reading the third book right now, and I just keep being like, "Can he read a red flag, please? Like, how many times is he about to walk into a trap?" But that's so I, we haven't gotten to the Battle of the Labyrinth yet, and I haven't read that in a long time, so I'm curious to see if he can finally start reading red red flags. But it is that you're totally right; you're seeing it with such a more sympathetic lens, and I really appreciate that because I'm just kind of a dick to him, so
2: oh yeah we're, we're we're normally a percy hate podcast especially for Titans curse we were very awful to him yeah oh, we no. we are very mean to
1: him a lot we're mean oh, to no. him and it felt really weird to be like wow like he's got it rough because like we we know that but like he's a little dumb a lot of the time yeah that's true <laughs> yeah
0: yeah
4: that's so funny you guys are like one
0: sorry i'm sorry i gave him an offering once and everyone was like oh my god <laughs> I, like, I think it's i don't know it's just kind of bad they were like come on He <laughs> does okay
2: sometimes
0: <laughs> yeah
2: he's the protagonist he's gonna do all right in the end of course
3: it's true it's true
4: <laughs> i was thinking too it's kind of like with this chapter Again, like it's like that—that that shattering of the idea of home and also shattering of innocence. And I think it's interesting that this these two chapters parallel with his decision to go ahead with Nico's plan as well, because that if he's been so reluctant about it, um, and I think that's him hanging on to like his innocence and his childhood. Not that he's like a particularly innocent little little baby, but it's like he's been holding on to his his youth and by going ahead with Nico's plan it's going to change a lot of things for him and it's going to ha- like force him into this battle with Kronos and everything that he he knows he has to do but he's still kind of like I don't want to um, or I want to wait until the very last minute until I can and it's interesting that it coincides with also this these two chapters that show the the shattering of the idea of home
2: yes I think it's interesting how it they both showed like, the shattering of home, like you said, but also the importance of keeping home safe in, in mm-hmm. Hestia. I think her being like, when all the other Libyans go off to war, I am what's left. And it was, like, it was just a really good reminder of, yes, this war is a lot and you have to deal with it, but it doesn't matter if you don't remember why you're fighting like if you're just fighting to stop the other person you're never gonna win because you're not fighting for anything you're fighting for someone to lose and that's not really something so it's the reminder to Percy is like you're fighting for your friends you're fighting for your mom you're fighting for Camp Half-Blood you're not just fighting to destroy Luke and because I think he he's starting to lose sight of that and I think that's and I think he keeps losing sight of that, even though Hestia <laughs> reminds him right now. Um, but I, th- I think that's the, his his little arc over the book is is learning to remember like why he's fighting. Mm-hmm. I also just love Hestia. Yeah,
3: yeah, she's very underrated. We noticed in the first book, I mean, we think, this is also, again, giving Rick a lot of credit. She's like, in the first introduction of camp he notices like an eight-year-old girl who's just warming herself by the fire and I was like that's Hestia obviously because Rick is brilliant and now I'm thinking about it like I'm like maybe he wasn't that it was just like a camper who was just like cold
2: you know I never know with him (laughs) it's like yeah there's it's very unclear how much he sets up or if he's just really good at retconning himself
4: Yeah, because I was thinking, too, in this chapter, Nico is like, I was out west, like, looking for family. And I'm like, was he at Camp Jupiter? Like, was he looking for Hazel? I don't, I'm like, what? That's what I, and I was like, did Rick even know he was going to write another (laughs) series at this point, though? Because some of the things in Heroes of Olympus, I'm like, this does not line up with what was established in this series. And so most of the things in it. But I'm just like, is that what Nico was doing? Was he looking for Hazel? I don't know
2: yeah the the whole thing that's set up in Heroes of Olympus of like and the whole time you were fighting in New York we were fighting on the west coast we're like okay you were in the wrong place
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe try a different
1: place next time Uh,
0: someone (laughs) fucked up you guys were not in the right place
2: (laughs) that's cool and
1: all but maybe try something else (laughs) like
2: it's like as far as we know like Mount Authorist like they weren't really doing anything that was like their headquarters but what were they attacking there like I don't know it's like okay like that's great I guess thanks I think they do say at the end of the book that like and the palace fell all on its own
0: yeah like sure
3: (laughs) (laughs) I believe that
2: anywhere else we saw home
3: I have a question. Is home like Percy? We were talking about Percy's home life before and Shattering of Innocence, but we forget about Gabe. Like Gabe has been there mm, and in the yes. house since the beginning. So personally, f- fi- bleh, Percy finally gets like his mom to himself in a safe environment that he calls home and then he's yanked out to more quests and doing more dangerous things. Like right now, if he could, he'd have the ideal house. Life because he's got Paul and his mom who both adore him and also know who he is, but at the same time, he can't stay. So it's first time like without Gabe, and it still sucks. Yeah. Also, Paul, oh, you can go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that just the trajectory of like he does have a similar upbringing to Luke where he like grows up in an abusive household. Mm -hmm. And then the second that that household becomes a lot safer from him or for him, it becomes less safe by his presence.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also it's interesting, because in this chapter, Paul is like fully like, oh, whoa, like I get to see the hellhound and is very excited about it. And it's like, Paul has also finally, I feel like been fully initiated into Percy's little group of people that are home for him. And I also like, shouts to Paul for being the one who, like reasons with Sally in this chapter. I forgot about that, where he's like, Well, Percy's doing a good thing. You should let him do this go bathe in this river. And I was like, oh Paul, coming in and clutch here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and Sally Sally ends up having to be really selfless in this moment. Like this is like a huge moment for her, like letting her her kid grow up. Because she's known that she can't really protect him for a long time, but she did her bet. Like she did the whole Gabe thing. She did everything that she could to protect her son. And this is her kind of having to accept that she can't, there's nothing else that she can do to protect him. Like this is like the last thing that she can do is give her, her blessing. And then that's, that's it. Then it's up to him to protect himself because He's he's 16, which is still young, but it's demigod grown up. It's like demigod 25.
0: <laughs> exactly. And reading the this like the scene with Sally, it just reminded and like talking about what's home to Percy. It just reminded me of um, the beginning of Battle of the Labyrinth. Is Paul trying to get Percy to come to the school he teaches at? And it's just like. Like, I feel like that was the moment where it was, like, maybe we can be a family, and this can be your home, and, like, this can be a normal experience for you. You can go to this high school, you can live with, like, you can have an exp- a normal experience, and then demon cheerleaders are, like, no, you actually can't. So, well, totally I feel... <laughs> literally fuck Kelly why was she in that book so much too many times
2: I'm pretty sure she comes back in this one too
0: Mm -hmm. I hate her so so much oh my god she needs to go away um yeah I feel like (laughs) that that scene in the battle of the labyrinth was kind of the first like this is the last straw of like Percy can't have a proper home in he can only have home in people and not in this location Or, albeit any location really, Um, but I think like this that theme has been set up all the way since like the beginning of Battle of the Labyrinth when they were like maybe we can do this and then it goes like horrifically wrong and then an entire book ensues. But like, yeah, that's it. Just it just reminded me of that.
2: Yeah, and it's also when Sally asks Percy to give her a sign that he is okay. She's like, "I know that you're going to have to do this fight, but I will only give you my blessing if you promise me that you have to let me. I'm going to tear up. I'm really, it's so it's <laughs> maybe so emotional. It's like you have to let me know that you're okay." And I I don't really have anything else to say about that. It was just like really beautiful and emotional and it's just that thing that's like even if Sally can't protect him anymore, even if he can't really have a home in the same place as her. That she still cares about him more than anything. Oh, okay. I think it's also very appropriate that we're recording this on Mother's Day. I'm realizing,
4: uh, I know, i know. Like gonna go give my mom a hug. When I, I know, to-
3: after I uh, shoot her out of the room, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and I was also thinking. That this like the ending, the chapter on that note, like Percy or Sally finally like letting go of Percy and Percy. He, I mean, knowing what happens next, he's kind of like he's let go of everything right now, and then it's kind of beautiful. Like he let go of home, but then he goes and bathes in the river sticks, and like who does he see there as his tie to home? That's his new home.
2: Yeah. (sighs) Uh, All right what are our sass moments from this book
0: i've got mine open because it's a little ridiculous but it did make me laugh and i think a lot of things make me laugh like i'm not difficult to entertain but this was just like funny for no reason to me it's the beginning of chapter six uh it's right when they get to um connecticut says so we've got some quality time in connecticut i gazed at the white colonial house what now we ring the doorbell, Nico said. <laughs> like, I don't know why that was so funny. Cause like, I mean, it was just a funny moment for Percy being stupid. Like, what do we do now? It's like, we ring the doorbell. <laughs> and then that's the end of the page. Like it, we move on to a different paragraph after that. So that was mine.
2: My moment was similarly like not meant to be funny, I don't think, but it's like I didn't like that, the idea. Then I thought about Annabeth calling me a coward, and I got angry.
4: <laughs> yeah, I loved her. Or little ego. <laughs> yes. Like,
2: Aw, you like her.
1: <laughs> um, Mine is in chapter five. It's like, I guess, middle, and it says, Nico walked back to us. Good job, Percy. Judging from the trail of goat pellets, I'd say you shook him up pretty well. Ew. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Period. That is gross. It's funny because it's disgusting. <laughs> the bar is low.
4: <laughs> I like the scene where or the moment when uh Nico is like awkwardly with Juniper and Lennius arguing, and Nico's like, I'll walk the dog. Yeah.
3: yeah. I think this is a theme. Like Nico was the sass master of these chapters, because mine's is when Paul is suggesting the um like, oh, raise his white sails. He's like, that's a good idea. Like, he'll raise his white sails or whatever. And Nika goes, except he forgot. And his father jumped off the palace roof in despair. But other than that, it was a great idea.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, yikes.
3: Just a little goth kid and his sass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Who are we giving offerings for this week?
3: I, mine's is controversial. I want to give my offering to Hermes.
4: Whoa, excuse me. Yeah. I know
3: I know, but like, I can't Am imagine to end our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is where friendship falls apart. But it's more of the fact that I can't imagine, like, okay, I'm giving him a lot more empathy than he probably has. But it seems like from what we know later on, he seems like he really did love May and he really, like
4: mm-hmm.
3: thought that they were gonna have the picture perfect family. and he, kind of saw what happened to May and then he saw what was going to happen later in the book and he was powerless to stop it despite being a full-on God and watching Luke just resent him and be like, I guess kind of like a typical teenager where you kind of have a falling out with your parents because you don't think they understand you, but they do understand you and like, they just can't really relate to you. So I just feel very bad for him. He doesn't deserve it. Like, obviously, Mae deserves it a lot more and Luke deserves it a lot more, but I understand like you must have been so helpless. I feel bad for him. So I'm like sending one up to him.
2: That was, you that. justified that very well. Yeah, you did, <laughs> I guess. did. You did
3: <laughs> saved myself <laughs> a little bit.
2: <laughs> Mine is for May because she is just a tragic example of the system failing someone. The gods use her, and she is hurt by it, and then they throw her away. They like, they did this to her and then they did not take care of her. Uh, it <laughs> very specifically just reminds me about how the way that the United States treats uh, its armed forces, um, that there is no mm. great care for veterans and but their bodies are used to fight rich men's wars. Um, but also just like the way we treat any mental health <laughs> in this country is just like leaving them be, calling them crazy. Um, mm-hmm. and not providing them the treatment that they need, especially when their problems are caused by a system that um makes it hard for them to live. And May clearly traumatize Luke, but it wasn't her fault. I it was the god's fault. Um there is definitely some god out there who could series. fix it.
0: The theme <laughs> for this series, it was probably the gods' fault.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Also, I was thinking, because we just read in Titan's Curse the part where Dionysus is, like, going off on Percy about how heroes suck, and, like, they always screw over women, basically, so I'm thinking, like, May is just another one of those women that get screwed by the gods, literally and metaphorically, and just end up, like ignored by society and it's unfortunate um but I'm not going to give my offerings (laughs) today I'm actually going to give mine to Mrs. O'Leary because she that dog does so much shadow traveling and she's so tired and doing a napping and also anytime I see Mrs. O'Leary I think she is the best character on the page I think she could probably eat someone and I'd be like good girl so
0: (laughs) (laughs) I agree thank you thank you
1: Okay. Um, I don't know if I've ever done this before. (sighs) It's for Percy. I'm giving it to Percy.
0: All right. I was deciding between two and now I know which one. (laughs) (laughs) Because
1: I I was also kind of deciding between a few of them. Um, But I just, I don't know. Poor kid. (laughs) Like he's really trying so hard and he's trying to cope. And I don't think anyone should have to like try to navigate those complex mental patterns of like, coping and um sort of like understanding manipulation of others etc when you're 15.
0: um it's just really tough so for him <laughs> no i fully agree i was deciding between um percy and sally yeah um, mm-hmm. and
2: i'm so glad I've, someone did it
0: <laughs> yeah i wanna like really like my official one will be for sally because percy got one but i also want to mention that percy is under the Impression that this is going to be the last time he ever sees his mom. Like he and is keeping that from her because obviously that's awful. And like he's not going to be like, by the way, mom, I'm supposed to die, listen to this prophecy. But like, that's so scary for a 15-year-old kid to like be in this situation and like fully under the impression that this is going to be the last time that he ever sees her. So upsetting. Um, but my official one is for Sally because honestly, anytime that she's here. Like she walks in the room and I'm like, yes, offering. You're great, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It just what we've already discussed of like this has, this is such a um important moment for her to give up the idea that she can protect her son and give it to something or someone else. Um, in this incredibly scary and like dire situation. So, poor Sally
2: all right and for offerings we also have an email from a listener that i would like to include this week uh this is from sanvi um and it reads i must say paul's prius deserves an offering that poor car and
0: i have to agree
2: <laughs> yes. yeah yeah absolutely what an expensive car to be damaged mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
2: severely, too.
3: He did not ask for that. (laughs) And of course he drives a Prius. Like, that's just so accurate
2: to who he is. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
3: Because
2: she's wonderful. All right, now, who are we voting off the island? Mine might be a little controversial. it's, It's Luke. Because we know that Luke came back to get a blessing from his mom and then left her again, it, which is I. I'm conflicted in doing this because I do know, like, that he, like, she did cause him trauma. But then it, it was—it's really the god's fault. So he's just another person who leaves. I mean, Percy, Percy can't really do anything, but he also leaves her. She, this woman just keeps getting left, yeah. just left alone, and her son comes back, uses her and then leaves her again and she I'm just really she made me so sad and I feel really bad for her and so Luke I'm just like really annoyed that he used her and it kind of just made her worse because she's like but he he will come back and then he did and then he doesn't again and it's kind of sad because he's gonna die but um yeah yeah Minor. <laughs> so i'm leaving people behind
3: mine well while you're like hesitant to kind of slowly push him off i've like chucked him like javelin <laughs> spear thrown him off the island period I'm, yeah i'm like yes like you know a lot of people go through trauma a lot of people unfortunately like just go to therapy dude like what's going on just stop it like It's not because of the May thing. I think the May, the whole, that chapter was a great enlightenment of like, okay, maybe we should have a little bit of sympathy for him. Like he is human and he was a child and all that stuff. But the beginning is like when Beckendorf died and Percy's like kind of mulling through that. And like Beckendorf's ghost and all of that stuff and Grover's missing and all the camp looks like it's like not really settled because everyone's so stressed because people are gonna die that's Luke that's on Luke like yes it's also on mostly on the Titans and Luke is just a puppet but at the end of the day he he's the main cause of trauma for all these campers and it's especially traumatic because he was all their friends and mm-hmm. I don't have enough sympathy from his childhood to let him off the hook like I drop kicked him off the island at this point.
0: Great. Period. I agree, I <laughs> love it. Um, mine's for Linnaeus shut up damn it <laughs> you can hop on the train if you want you can he deserves more than one he's awful yeah. why are you okay, I agree. Um stop talking <laughs> <laughs> do not your opinion is not needed nor wanted in this situation so
1: yeah I'm hopping on that why does he feel the need to speak
0: like <laughs>
1: just just quick you
4: know quick solution be quiet just closing up like quiet. I was originally gonna say him, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna say <laughs> Grover. <laughs> Oh. Which I know, I know. I'm gonna just <laughs> I'm gonna some oh, I mean, I just I want to hear the bridges. Okay, well, I have this ongoing like I we're only on Titan's Curse, so Juniper's not even in the picture. But I remember when I read these, the most recent time, I was just continually upset that Grover doesn't tell Juniper where he's going, and she's like constantly worried out of her mind at camp. And, like, she can't leave camp, and she's always, like, wandering around ask everyone, and Percy's like, she's kind of annoying, like, stop asking. And I'm like, why? Like, Grover, be a good, significant other, and keep your, he also doesn't tell Percy where he's going, he just goes off. He doesn't tell anyone. He causes a lot of worry, and then just shows up and is, like, playing his little flute, and is like, what's up? <laughs> just... I feel bad for Juniper here.
0: That was honestly a great justification. Thank like, you. I oh, that's fair. That. Thank you. Because I, mean, I love Juniper, and she does not deserve. Right? It.
4: She doesn't. They can. She can do better than Grover. Like Grover, should get someone who like is traveling around with him, can keep up with his his fiascos, and Juniper needs a more steady satyr. <laughs> <laughs> <Steady. laughs> or like a tree. I don't know. I don't know what dryad. I don't know if they date other trees. I don't know.
2: I, I, I like a queer reading of Juniper. She could yeah. take other dryads. Ooh. A naiad maybe? Ooh! She could, get, they could, she could water her. I don't know. Like, I don't really... <laughs> it was a weird... They just
4: water each other? <laughs> the <a> watering can? <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, folks. That is all for this week. Join us next week, where we'll be joined by Emma Bergland of Fan City Central. And we will be discussing...
1: Chapters seven, and eight. My math teacher gives me a lift, and I take the worst bath ever through the theme of vulnerability.
0: Make sure to follow us on social media. We are at Return to Camp on every platform that matters, and we also have a Patreon, a Redbubble store, and a website, www.returntocamp.com. Would you guys like to plug anything before we go? You can
4: find, you can check out our podcast, Camp Half Pod, on any of the podcast platforms where we just started titan's curse um and you can also find us on social media at camp half pod on instagram and twitter
3: sorry about that didn't i predict that that was gonna happen (laughs) all good all good very smoothly (laughs) it happens every time you record from home (laughs) i try not to do it from here but it's it's mother's day so i'm here and (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like no matter what i say it's like door flies open i was like okay
2: (laughs) yeah that's real that when i was recording from home always always something happening
1: yep Mm
2: -hmm. house full of people
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Things happen. I don't know where all my roommates are right now. It's very quiet in my house.
1: <laughs> it's anyways. also quiet in my literal eight person suite. So I have absolutely no idea what's happening. I think like, <laughs> people
0: got yeah, abducted. It's so quiet in my room where yeah. I'm the only one
2: here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I think, I mean, I think Jake is still asleep, but like right. my other roommates wake up so early. So I don't know where they went. That's wild. um Anyways.